Good morning. It is so lovely to be with you. It is so wonderful to finally get to worship with Jason. We've never been to church together, I don't think, in the decade that I've known him. And obviously, it's beautiful and wonderful to be uh, worshiping with Joey, who I worked with for some time at Pilgrim UCC. And I am honored to be here with you all. Uh, the text that was provided for me uh, to preach from this week uh, comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to a few verses later. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Great. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives have this name. Here ends the reading that I was provided. If my sermon title is in the bulletin, which I'm not even sure y'all have, just ignore it. Um, I tried to write that sermon, but it wasn't happening. Uh, it wasn't coming freely. So I let go and let God. And this might actually be a better title to my sermon, uh, Let Go and Let God. It's a little cliche, sure, but sometimes you do have to let go and let God. The text today centers on a family, primarily Elizabeth and Zechariah, who buck tradition, counterculture, and askew convention to follow God's will. They let go and let God. This will be the last time I say that, I promise. They named their son John when they were expected to name their child Zechariah after his father. Sounds like a small thing, but in this culture that stressed tradition and communal life, particularly for the priestly class, this would have been relatively unheard of. Elizabeth had the courage to boldly proclaim that God had a different plan for her son over and against her patriarchal community. At this point, I can tell you the story of the great Elizabeth and how she mustered the courage independently of her community, but my theological convictions and my exegetical study remind me that God does not walk, call us to walk alone in the world. Heroes always have people beside and behind them. I want to speak of what the late bell hooks called the practice of love within the context of community. The fullness of God's love work and our practice are seen in how Elizabeth is bolstered by solidarity. Luke tells us that Zachariah and Elizabeth were getting on in years and had never had children. And while being barren was a deep source of shame in this time, Zechariah was a priest. And so I imagine the family was not entirely disaffected. One day, while Zechariah was participating in his priestly duty, an angel of God appeared to him and told him that he would bear a son and name him John. Zechariah, similar to his ancestors Abraham and Sarah, had a hard time believing that this could be true, as old as they were. And so the angel struck Zechariah mute. Of course, Elizabeth soon found she was pregnant. Interestingly, Luke says then that Elizabeth stayed in seclusion for five months. I wonder, what, was she in hiding because she feared the community's suspicion about her pregnancy? Was she in seclusion from her husband too? Was she utterly alone? Even if she was with Zeke, they, could, they would have had to learn a whole new way of communicating, him now being mute. 
I imagine this was a confusing and lonely time. I imagine Elizabeth crying out to God in her despair and loneliness, praising God on the one hand for the blessing of a child and being angry and confused with why it took so long and why under these circumstances. I imagine her crying out, God, thank you, and what have you done? After months of seclusion, God begins to move in the Lucan story. Elizabeth's cousin Mary was visited by the same angel and told that she too would have a child under unusual circumstances. The text says that when the angel left, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I imagine Mary receiving the message from Gabriel and knowing the community would not understand, she packed her bags and got out of Dodge. She decided to visit family, to travel abroad as soon as possible. She wasn't the first or last woman to go away or be sent away for an unexpected pregnancy. Luckily, she was able to go to the one place where she might be understood, the home of an older relative and her mute husband, who were also in the midst of the wildest season of their life. Upon her arrival, Mary threw her arms open and praised God, sharing, God cast down the mighty and lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Can you imagine being alone for five months and then being surprised by your very young cousin, also pregnant under curious circumstances? And she's not ashamed. She's not confused. She's ready to tear the establishment down. She, she's got this youthful boldness that I imagine strengthens Elizabeth's heart immediately. What a gift it was that none of these, these women did not have to go through this alone. They at least had one person who believed their story. As a person who has been pregnant, I can attest to the discomfort, fear, uncertainty, and loneliness that can occur when you cultivate life within you. This is a terribly difficult time to be alone. I imagine them using this time to strengthen each other physically, emotionally, spiritually. Mary stayed three months, and I think about this time as the retreat they both needed to gather the inner strength to go forward back into the world that did not understand. I share this backstory because it reminds me that Elizabeth courageously contests the community's decision of her son's name. She was strong. She stood in her feet, in her bones. I imagine her proclaiming boldly, no, he will be called John. I imagine a strong, powerful voice. The day comes and Elizabeth is able with force and conviction to declare her son's name. She was prepared for the people to question her. She was unwavering. Of course, the text goes on to say that the people, in their shock, began motioning to Zechariah to find out what he wanted the child's name to be. I imagine Zechariah shaking his head, thinking, I'm mute, not deaf, and asking for a tablet. He writes, his name is John, and the people are amazed. The text goes on to say that immediately his mouth was open and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. In my feminist interpretation of this text, his speech comes back after he was silent long enough for the women in his life to declare God's work in the world. 
Luke sure seems to say that when God wanted to share the good news about what was to come, God made sure it was women who declared its inception. In Luke, the good news comes from the margins. It comes from an unwed, pregnant teenager and an older woman, barren woman, and the shepherds in the fields. For Luke, the good news is not just for the oppressed, but from the oppressed. And so Elizabeth declares, his name will be John. At this, fear came over the neighbors and the story of Elizabeth, Zechariah, and their son, John, spread through the land. All who heard the story pondered and said, what then will this child become? With a name like none other in his family, a new path was being presented to this child. With a mother standing in her faith and a father supporting his wife, with parents bold like this, the people wondered, what will this child become? You all have been reflecting on ancestors that have fortified us by their faithful lives. Elizabeth is one of them. Your Advent reflection for today focuses on the loving courage uh, to unconventionally name her child. She was releasing him from the tradition of following in her, his father's priestly footsteps. She was saying, God is calling this child to something new. We look back at her, and she teaches us to look forward toward God, what God has in store for our children, for our descendants, for all that which is to come, that which is metaphorically coming into being. This is radical. I wonder if Khalil Gibran was thinking about Elizabeth and John when he wrote his poem on children. I imagine Elizabeth declaring his words to the community. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They came through you, but not from you. And they are, though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life does not go backwards, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might so that his arrow may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. See, this is a story about Elizabeth and Mary and their solidarity and the courage that they were able to gather in order to go back into the world. This is a story of the courage of Elizabeth and Zechariah to follow God's will. And it's also about their faithful solidarity with those who and that which are yet to come. Your Advent devotional has been centered on the ancestors who have shaped our faith. And now I want you to think of yourself as an ancestor. Will you be bold like Elizabeth, setting John free from expectation to be all that God called him to be? Who will you boldly support who will you stand, how will you stand for, firm in your faith and support them? 
John is known for calling his people to repent and preparing the way for Jesus. And I think that our young people too are calling us. They could be ushering in a new way of being for the church. I hope that they will have, we will have the courage of Elizabeth to boldly proclaim freedom for them to go forward as faith calls them. I want to add that I realize that I seem quite young and that I am perceptive enough to recognize that this is my prayer for the church and my own future ministry, that I would be set free. And I write this knowing that my two-year-old will face a world we have never seen before, the ecological destruction she will inherit and the economic and political ramifications of climate change will shape her world, her daily life. So this is also a call to my generation. This is a call to those of us who have toddlers, that we have the courage to proclaim that they will live a different life. And we know that God goes with them and will inspire them. They will call us to repent, I'm certain. And I hope that they also usher in a new world. And I think Luke would want to be sure, I made clear, that this is not just for ch the children who call us, but all those who are diminished by society, regardless of age, the young women, the older women, the shepherds. Luke reminds us that God speaks from the margins, calling those of us who are privileged into the radical possibilities God presents for us. Let us watch in awe and wonder at the great archer as God sends all of us forth. And may we provide a sheltering, flourishing space of solidarity from which our community can go on. May we create the conditions which enable all people to courageously follow God's lead, just as Mary and Elizabeth did for one another and for each of their children. Let us, in hopeful, loving awe, wonder, what then will we become? Amen. Hey, good morning, church. How are you today? So if you're wondering, if you haven't already heard, today is the first time that we are live streaming our church service during the pandemic. That's why you see cameras here. And so even though it might appear as though we're pretending that all this technology isn't here, uh, that's what's happening. We've switched from a pre-recorded service on Sunday mornings to a live stream, partly because we really wanted the folks who are out there participating with Oceanside Sanctuary to really be a part of what happens here on Sunday morning, because that feels more like community uh, to us. And uh, it, it's so, the reason I'm telling you this is of course, because there might be some glitches. So if there are some glitches, please be patient. For those of you at home, please be patient and bear with us. I also wanted to say a thank you to Mark Randell, because none of this would be possible without Mark. Um, before you clap, let me tell you what you're clapping for. Uh, we needed to pull this together pretty quickly, and Mark's a, a professional uh, sound and lighting engineer, and he helped us make sure that we had the lighting that we needed to pull this off, and he and Alex worked really hard over the last two weeks for several days to put it all together. So thank you very much, Mark Randell. Now you can clap for him. For those of you who don't know, I'm Jason Coker. I'm the pastor here. You wouldn't know that, however, because it seems as though I hardly preach here these days. 
which means I'm doing announcements today. And if my announcements get a little preachy, now you know why, because I'm missing doing the preaching. So if you are new, welcome. I am the pastor here, Jason Coker, and we're excited to have you. If you're new, you can always just fill out a connection card. You'll see around the church and on your bulletin, a QR code. If you scan that with your phone, it'll pop up a little bulletin for us and you can just go to the visitor portion. Let us know who you are and how we can be helpful to you in any way. Also, there's a little connect card on the back of the old fashioned printed bulletin. For those of you who are here and you came here and you're wondering if there's a way for you to get connected, just fill out that little connect card on the back and then pop it in the offering uh, box, which is there at the back of the sanctuary. A couple of announcements that I wanna share with you. The first is that uh, our live streaming starts today. I've already talked about that. So just know that uh, we are doing this live. And if you aren't able to come on a Sunday morning, you can catch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook. Second announcement is that our Christmas Eve service is coming up Friday, December 24th at 7 p.m. We're excited about this. This is when we do traditional Christmas carols and light candles and sing together. This is a short service, usually about 35, 40 minutes long. It's a family service. So bring your kids, your grandkids, whoever you'd like, and come and join us for Christmas Eve. And then two days later, it's Christmas Pajama Sunday. So that means we are asking you to consider being brave enough to wear Christmas pajamas to church on Sunday morning. Now, whatever it is that you actually wear to bed, I wanna encourage you to come with pajamas on on that particular day. I'm not asking you to come to church with whatever you wear to bed. So please come wearing fun, tastefully appropriate, Christmas-themed pajamas for that Sunday. Really, it's just for you, Tina. And then last but not least, we have our year-end fund drive. For those of you who have been here for a while, you know we hardly ever talk about money here. We don't even take an offering at church on Sunday mornings, but twice a year we talk a lot about money. In the middle of the year, typically in June, we have a little membership drive. We ask you to sign up to maybe be a monthly member here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. And then at the end of the year in December, we have a year-end fund drive when a lot of folks are thinking about their year-end charitable giving, and that is this month. So our goal this month is to raise $25,000 over and above regular monthly giving. So far, we are just under $11,000, so we're doing pretty well, but we have a long ways to go. And so if you are inclined, to make a charitable gift this year at the end of the year, please consider the Oceanside Sanctuary. Now, uh, why would you give money to any charity? Uh, and this is, by the way, a charity, right? We are a 501c3 nonprofit. The only reason we can do what we do is because of generous gifts from people like you. And if you're anything like me, you give to nonprofits because you believe in what they do. You believe in their mission and you trust that the money you're giving to that organization is not being funneled into the pockets of the senior pastor or to buy luxury jetliners so that they can fly around the country. I assure you none of that is happening here, uh, but if you're wondering, you can come and talk to any of us on staff or on the board about how we spend our money and what our budget is. So if you believe in what we do in an inclusive and inspiring and impactful expression of Christianity that includes all people and works towards anti-racism, 
welcomes and empowers the LGBTQ community, tries to feed hungry people in our neighborhood, and speaks out on behalf of those who are poor and oppressed in our community. That's what we do. If you didn't know that and that horrifies you, it's probably good for you to know. <laughs> if you didn't know that and that excites you that we're a church that does those sorts of things, then please consider supporting us with a year-end gift. So that's my big giving speech.